Let's, let's pray. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, we entreat you once mm-hmm. again to come into this place. Yes, Father. Lord, just fill this place with your Spirit. Yes, our dear Do a Father. work that might surprise us, Lord. We mm-hmm. don't want to limit you this, this evening, Lord. Mm-hmm. Do a work in David's life yes, here that, Jesus. Lord, he may yes, have Lord never Jesus. seen it happen before. Lord, mm-hmm. just I pray that you would power him with your Holy Spirit. Yes, Lord, Father. He's, he's human and Father. he feels the withering of his flesh. But Lord, he knows, I know he knows that your word shall stand forever. Amen. Bless him this, this evening. Give him power, give him words. Right. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. We're going to turn in our Bibles here. Is this on? We're going to turn in our Bibles here to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. And I think it's going to go along with what we've heard here already. Thank you very much, Ryan. I don't know what God is going to do today, but I hope that he'll do something that will have something to do with what he'll do tomorrow. I want all the young people to take a deep breath and hold it. Good enough. Okay, now I want you to breathe shallow. Now I want you to breathe for taking that mountain. Now which way do you want your, whole, your, your spiritual life to be? Oh, I took a big breath 20 years ago. I, I, we did it that night right here after, after uh, Ryan prayed for Dave. We were all on the floor. <gasps> And I'm still holding my breath. That was a... Is that what you want here tonight? We've been talking this week about the working of God as He came into a new society in a new age and did something that He planned to do from eternity past. One of the number one doctrines, the number one doctrine of the Bible that relates to you is that God is looking for a people. Now we can talk about all kinds of other things, but the reason, listen, brother, if you build a house, who'd you build it for? The cat? The dog? The kitchen cupboards? Who'd you build it for? For people. Now God did an incredible creative work, and who did he create it for? A people. A people who have a vital connection to him and a vital connection to one another. Now we are going to talk tonight about two different aspects of spirituality.
One is an idea of spirituality that puts all the emphasis on a connection with God. And the other is a kind of spirituality that puts all the connection on a earthly type connection. Relationship with others or with uh, rules or with whatever. We'll get into that in a little bit. I'm going to suggest to you tonight that both of those will, are wrong and that both of them will land flat on their face. Let's just get a little more specific on that. I love to meet with God. Over my lifetime, I built lots of cabins. Well, about three cabins. One of them was in a, a haymow. And I was so desperate for God, I'd go out there with a little candle in a haymow. Doesn't sound too safe. And it would be minus 30. And I'd be out there in my parka and blankets with a little candle and my Bible. Seeking the face of God. And I met God. But I had lots of practical areas of ignorance in my life that I was so desperate after God. Now you might think, if I have a vital connection with God, things are going to go great in my family. It's not true. I'll just tell you, it's not true. Because God doesn't just call us to be a prayer warrior. John Wesley was an incredible man of God. But I hear he had a terrible marriage. Does, does that... Well, let's not go down that road. What I'm trying to say is, I was spending all this time with God, but I lacked some of the nuts and bolts of what it took to have a godly home and godly marriage in my life. No one had told me. No one had taught me. No one had given me direction. No one had come alongside me. So I had this way working good, but this way wasn't working. And you see, God is looking for men in this day, young men and sisters, who can get a hold of a deposit of some treasure and some gold of the kingdom. They'll go and sell all they have because they found a treasure of the kingdom. And once they get it, they'll make it their mission to go everywhere letting others know where they can go and dig too. And they'll pass on the deposit of the vitality of a relationship that goes this way and that is worked out in practical life. Brother, I'd like to pass something on to you. Got, got your hands open? What did I just pass on? <clears throat> nothing. Most of us are passing nothing on. A lot of us are passing on some, we'll look at it later, some individualism. Some independent spirits. We live in an age of independence. And I'm calling us today, this week, to recognize the characteristics of our age and to say we will go another direction. In a world of individualism, I'm calling us to be a people of a koinonia society. In an age where anything that blows your hair back is right and there are no standards and there are no truth, I'm calling us to be a people that get a hold of what it means to be a non-conformed society. Do you know 
what the direction of this world is? It's putting everyone together in one world society run by Walmart and Hollywood and Paris. And everyone's just fallen right into line. I'm going to ask us tonight just to consider what is it that God intended? I'm going to ask you to ask through the rest of your life in every brother's meeting and every church service, what is it that God intended? That's why we're here as a people, as a new society, is to try to reintroduce into this world what God intended from the beginning. Now this world, sorry, if we've got all the garbage that they've collected this week, and we were to dump it right on this floor, and you were to tell me, I'm to have one hour to preach, but first you need to clean up all the garbage. Do you think I'd get her done? We'd still be trying to clean up garbage an hour from now, and I wouldn't even have started preaching. I'm going to tell you something, brethren and sisters. We don't start with the mess that's in this world. That is not our starting place. There's an incredible mess in this world that you're never going to solve that all of us together will never resolve. There's no hope of it. Now there's many people that are trying through politics or education or health or whatever to change this world and make a difference. They're trying to improve all this garbage out here. So they get the spray can out and paint it all pink and yellow and it looks kind of pretty up there but after a while it starts stinking anyhow. Right? You see, when we focus on the garbage, and that's what many, many Christians are doing today, is they're looking at the world and they're saying, how can I go in there and make a difference? No. We must focus on God and what He intended. If we spend the rest of our lives trying to clean up garbage and all the problems and all the ugly situations... We will become humanistic psychologists and counselors who will always be swamped in problems. Our call is to get a vision of what God originally intended, to set our focus and say, come what may, whoever goes, comes with me, that's fine, and whoever doesn't, I can just do what Jesus did, and very graciously brush the, the dust off, you know, let's re face it, that's what Jesus did. That's what the apostles did. We saw in the Acts all, the, all this week, they, they always said, you're not going to listen to what I said. So, You know, they, they were always saying, you're not going to listen. Do you expect everyone you preach to, to hear, to listen? No. But we'll see in the last point today that God calls us to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom everywhere whether they listen or not. Now we're always trying to make the gospel appealing so they'll want to listen. We're always trying to clean up the situations of this life. And I'm suggesting something different. I'm suggesting that we begin to model what God intended from the beginning. He has introduced at the book of Acts at the ascension of the Holy Spirit and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, a church was born, a new society in a new age, an age of the Holy Spirit. Now, 
Let's turn in Psalm 103. I would like you to stand with me. And I would like those of you that would like to, to read with me. And we are going to pause at every kind of punctuation. And so young people from Bible school, I think you have a little idea. Let's lead out. We're going to start at verse 15. And I'm a little out of breath, but we're going to try, okay? If I fall behind you, please just keep right on going. Are you ready? As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone. And the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his children unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant and those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And together again, bless the Lord, O my soul. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to do this without a whiteboard tonight, which means from time to time I'll get a little more. I'll be a whiteboard. <laughs> if I had a whiteboard, I'd write some words on there, and one of them would be expectation. We've heard something about We're just going to leave it right there. Another one would be opportunity. Another would be strategy. Another would be preparation. Another would be purposeful. And another would be authority. Now, you may not have got all of those, but uh, expectation, opportunity, strategy, preparation, purposeful, and authority. And I've asked you a question tonight that I asked at a men's leadership in Bern several, several uh, weeks ago here. Where do you want to be in 50 years? What kind of church do you want to have in 50 years? What, what, do you, what do you want to pass on to your children? A handful of nothing? Um, what kind of spirituality are you going to need if you're to have the kind of church you would dream about in 50 years? Those are some questions I, I, I'd just like to suggest for you. If we're to get somewhere that's worth passing on to our children in 50 years, we need to have some expectations, some vision. Without that, we'll perish. Someone has said there's, I think it's John D. Martin has defined liberal and conservative this way. Do you know what a conservative is? There's someone who knows where they're going, okay? There's someone who's actually set some definite, definable, evaluable direction. John D. Martin says, a conservative makes his 
decisions in light of where he will, wants to be in 10, 15, and 20 years. A liberal makes his decisions in light of where, what's the best thing for today? Okay? Uh, just take and think about that a bit. Many of you here from conservative churches that are wrestling with what it means to be conservative. Do you know that statistics tell you that if you want your children to stay in the same faith that you are, that the more conservative your church is, the more likely you are that your children will stay in the same faith as you? And there's a simple reason for that. Statistically, if you want your children to be in the same faith as you, regardless of what that is, statistically you're best to be a Jehovah Witness, a Mormon, a Hutterite, or Amish. Why is that? Do you know why? It's because they've defined who they are, what they believe, what they practice, what they're about, and how they govern themselves. And there aren't, you know, they, they believe in what they're doing. If you don't believe in what you're doing, sister, should your children get excited about that? How are you, if you don't think anything good has been passed to you, how will you get excited about passing it on to someone else? If we're to have something that's worth passing on in 50 years from now, we need a right understanding of spirituality that goes this way and that is shoes on that goes this way. Now, I'm going to talk about this psalm in just a moment. But can I define those two kinds of spirituality just a little bit more? I'll put one over here and one over here for this time. Over here we have that Focus on the connection with God. Uh, a, a vital relationship with God. An expectation that we're going to meet with God. An expectation that we can go and build that hay room and meet with God. That I can go and, and sit in this chair with my Bible and God's going to meet me there. An expectation of what we get together and we pray as we have this week, and minister to one another as we have this week, that the Holy Spirit is going to come, and there's going to be what people have called body ministry. When I was a teenager in a young 20s, I was a part of a movement that knew all about praying for one another. All about the reality of the Spirit-filled life. I myself, 14 years ago, was a part of one of the greatest revivals or a revival that I have never even dreamed possible. One worldwide evangelist said it was the greatest revival that he's ever seen in his 40 years. And I was part of it. And it lasted for seven years. And a dear friend has said to me, he has said, when the glory of God this way is present, no standard this way is too difficult. But when the glory of God this way is gone, every standard this way becomes like a pile of garbage, becomes odious, and we want to get rid of it. 
I was a part of a revival for seven years this way that failed to define who they are and where they're going and where they want to be and defy, failed to put practical shoe leather to that. The revival that I was a part of when I was a teenager, I don't think there's anyone that is following the Lord in real, real obedience to Jesus today from that. There was a revival that swept through, through Western Canada in the 70s and 80s. It shook all, of, all down through America and especially Ohio and Chicago and places like that. The church where that revival started, my son, five years, six years ago, went with a group of young people traveling across the prairies. And in that course of six weeks traveling or one month traveling from church place to place, they stumbled on the church, on a group of people that had been a part of the, the very church where that revival was first poured out. They happened to get there while some old people were praying and they asked them about the revival. And they said, there's just about nothing left after 20 years. They said the very church where that revival left, we left, where there had been burning barrels. They burned everything. They, they, they dealt with all kinds of things, but there was no accountability afterwards. No brotherhood afterwards. It was just me and God, me and God and my revival. Today, they said, we left that church 10 years ago when they brought rock music and every other manner of thing back in and stopped preaching about the blood of Christ. They said today that church, where that revival was poured out, it's considered about the only real nationwide revival that has hit us in the last hundred years. They said today you can go around the walls of that church and there's little booths with a Buddha, with Hindu gods, so that when you come to church, you will feel comfortable. You will not feel condemned. That's 20 years after an the, the, the beginning of the only nationwide revival we've had in 100 years. What went wrong? What, what went wrong? So over here we have this idea, we have this, this idea, and we've talked about it, we've seen it in the book of Acts this week, haven't we? Of God coming. And I've seen, brothers and sisters, God come. And I've seen in a place where I live, people traveling thousands, 2,000 miles to see what was happening when God was coming. I've been part of meetings where people have gone to work during the day, traveled two hours after work, left early to get to tent meetings, traveled two hours back, and done that back and forth with little children every day for seven to ten days. Because God came. But I've also seen great devastation and failure because we didn't go beyond that. So over here we have this meeting with God. We have this connection with God. Now who is that God? He's the Lord of hosts. We, we, we read about Him in this psalm. Bless the Lord, ye His angels that excel in strength. 
Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts. Somewhere else, many places, I believe it's 160 times in the scriptures, it talks about the Lord of hosts. Do you know what that means? That means that he is the Lord that is the Lord of all the armies of heaven. But not only that, he is the Lord who is the Lord of all the armies of this earth. He is the Lord of everything. There is nothing that's a higher authority than him. When he says march, everything marches. When he says, I'm not going to let you do that, it doesn't happen. That's the Lord of hosts. So over here we have this connection with the Lord of hosts. And do you want that connection? How many people want that connection? Well, you don't need to put up, well, let's, let's put up our... Do you want that connection with the Lord of hosts? So there's those that say that's spirituality. Have the goosebumps all over you. To have little prayer meetings where we're praying for one another and, and uh, good things are happening. But over here there's a whole other idea of spirituality and that's that real spirituality is when we submit. Submitting to the church. Submitting to one another. Submitting to some standards. Submitting and obeying God. We could even put it obeying the commandments of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we put our focus on practical Christianity. Now I want to ask you, is practical Christianity important? It's incredibly important. And as we think about the church, it's not just a, a, a people over here with Holy Ghost goosebumps. It's a people over here that are the hosts of the Lord. The Lord of hosts has hosts. They're stars. Well, are the stars doing what they want up there? Uh, yeah. Actually, it says that the hosts of heaven bear testimony in, according to their sign in every nation of the glory of God. When I go to Bolivia, I see a different set of constellations down there and different places in the sky, but they've seen them down there in their place from Entre Rios, Bolivia. They look up in the sky and they see over and over and over again the same pattern happening, testifying that the hosts of God lit, lighting up the sky are marching in perfect order. Every nation sees that, right? The angel hosts are an incredible army that march in step. It says that they do his bidding. It says every one of his hosts does his bidding. And here we are, the hosts of the Lord. We're gathered here as the hosts of the Lord today. But this view of spirituality over here says, it's me and God. It's me and my Bible. You know, if you begin with just you and your Bible, do you know what you're going to get next? You're going to get just you and you. And then you're going to get just you and disaster. I didn't invent that. You can see it everywhere. 
But the philosophy of our age from the non-Christians is that there is no truth, that we are to tolerate everything, and we as Christians are allowing that to shape our thinking. Individualism is shaping our thinking. And so, you could put, if we want, we could put the whole New Age movement way over here on this side. And much of the New Age movement is here because we as Christians have failed to understand what true spirituality is. And they came to our churches and they said, we don't want that. We want to meet with the Spirit. And they go and they meet with some Spirit because they didn't find the Spirit of God when they came to us. Do you understand? Does that make any sense? So do you understand in a little way because we failed as the church we're responsible for some of the other things that are happening in society? Because we're the ones that are to be representing true spirituality here and true obedience and practical Christianity over here where we are the hosts of the Lord marching in step demonstrating together in one accord the beauty of what God intended from the very beginning. Why would the stars march in, ho- in, in order and the angels march in order, but spirituality for us is over here? Do whatever you want. You're your own king. It's just you and God. That's not my Bible. We saw this morning, we read about Ephesians this morning, and I appreciated all those rich truths in Ephesians. But do you know that when it says there, don't have it right here, you are his workmanship? Who's got a Spanish Bible? Look it up in the Spanish Bible. I think it comes across better. Look it up in the French Bible. Look it up in the Greek Bible. It'll come across plural you. All the yous of Ephesians 1 to 3 are plural. It's not saying David, you, singular, are his workmanship. Now that's a beautiful thought, isn't it? I'm his workmanship. But that wasn't what Paul said. He said, you are his workmanship, you Ephesians. One body. According to that that message that we heard this morning about the eternal purpose of God and how it relates to our vocations and everything else, my brother Troy, I wish that was heard by every young Christian person in America. I wish they'd been here, but in a way we wish they weren't here. We had such a good time with just 25 of us, right? But you see, God has an eternal purpose for a people and it's critically important what you do in every area of your life because of that purpose that God has. And so every purpose I have, it's not just me and God. It's me and God and all His creation and all His people and all the lost and trying to find out what is our part together in God reconciling this lost world to Himself. That's why we're here. If it wasn't for that, God would take you home, sister. I mean, why would He keep you here to be miserable if He didn't have any purpose, you know? If you could go to heaven. No, He's left us here with a purpose. So we are God's new society. And I'm going to suggest three things, because we're probably not going to get to them too much, but as God's new society... 
We've been looking as a Bible school at the fact that we are to be a spirit-filled society. And I think I'm getting a little bit of this over here, okay? God, when, when, when you meet with God's people, I hope that you can begin to have an expectation that God is going to be there. I hope that when you invite someone to church on Tozer Road, that you can say, please come at 9 o'clock. That's when prayer meeting is, and that's when God begins to move. He did last Sunday while I was there. It reminded me of the camp meetings I went to in the 60s and 70s when we were praying very personally for one another and ministering to one another and caring for one another. And that's what I sensed at your prayer meeting at 9 o'clock on Tozer Road. You value that. Many people have prayer meetings, but they're not caring for one another. Many people have prayer meetings, but there's no sense that God came and there's no sense that people were ministered to. Oh, my dear brother, I remember being taught in the churches I used to be a part of. One of the things I valued in those churches was that they would teach us as pastors in the church that in the evangelical Pentecostal setting in which I was, they said, no one should ever go through your church doors without having their needs met before they leave. No sister should come discouraged and leave that prayer meeting at 9 o'clock without feeling some encouragement. Now, we've had a hard time, I think, in a lot of our plainer churches practicing that because we're, we're a little shy about really caring for one another sometimes. At least not in your background so much maybe, but in some others. But, well, we're all kind of human, aren't we? We need, we need boldness to actually care for one another. To realize there's needy people came through these doors today. There's needy people came into the daily bread today to, to buy some soup. And I just sense that there's a sister down there that's just wanting to minister to those people. Because that's what God has called us to. We're to be a ministering people over here. So we are a spirit-filled people. Secondly, we are a koinonia society we've seen this week in our Bible school. I'm going to introduce a third one, though, that we have not seen. It would relate more to the epistles and other things, but that is that we are to be a non-conformed people. In other words, we are to be those... Yes, we do see it because we see they turn the world upside down, right? They preach the kingdom. We weren't told all the details in the book of Acts. But they came and the life and message that they had was so radical. It wasn't just that they had a bunch of altar calls that upset people. It's that they began to live lives that were so different from the society around them that people began to get upset. And that's what happens when true revival happens. Then we see that this new society is to be a missionary society. A spirit-filled society, a koinonia society, a non-conformed society that's setting on purpose a direction that prophesies to the world. Do you know what non-conform means? It just means we're not in the garbage down here. 
It means we've seen that garbage isn't what God intends. And in the middle of that garbage pile, we don't just try and clean things up. We build a city of light. There are situations we're going to face we'll, we'll never resolve. But we can stand for what God originally intended. And we can take that gospel into all the world. So over here we have this, this idea that spirituality is all this way. It's experience. It's me and God. Over here we have this idea that spirituality is about submitting to practical details of life. Now I said that. I should have said that nice too. Why don't we make... Over here, it's submitting to one another in the brotherhood, recognizing that we are part of the hosts of the Lord and the most, the most beautiful thing in the world is brotherhood, not Holy Ghost goosebumps. And that we just submit to one another. We, we repair each other's roofs. We, we uh, go to soup kitchens. But all too often, we don't actually expect that God's going to come. But you know, I used to kind of condemn this over here. But I found, you know, that there's many, many people over here that you may be condemning that have a vital relationship with God, but they've never learned to express it so that other people see it. But I have learned that there's people over here that have a far deeper relationship than this fellow here. Okay? People that don't agree with that over there. But they're in tune with God anyhow. It's just you don't really see it. Now I'm suggesting that between these two things, of focusing on the Lord of hosts over here and focusing on being the hosts of the Lord here, that we tend to put this great big thing called fear. And the people over here do everything they can to stay away from that over there. And the people over here do everything they can to stay away from that over there. There's this big wall of fear. But then there's some people, and many of us, coming from conservative backgrounds, come and plop ourselves in the middle where we're afraid of that over there and we're afraid of that over there. <coughs> do you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to embrace them both. He is the Lord of hosts. And we are the hosts of the Lord. Marching in order, in one accord, demonstrating the beauty of what it means to be a society. A society where people have knit their hearts together instead of just following themselves and God. The whole world is following themselves when God made the world for fellowship. What is peoplehood all about? Business? No. Fellowship. God could have made robots if He didn't want to see fellowship. If He just wanted business, He could have created a whole bunch of Harvard PhDs. That just kind of click, click, clicked and had computers built right in. Calculators, whatever. Over on this side, I know we're taking a bit of time with this, but over on this side, it's, it's a little bit mystic, okay? 
Because it's me and God. And it's us in our little small group and God. And we know God was there. But there's another M word that's in the Bible. And it's the word mystery. Over here we have a bit of a mystery. Because in Ephesians we read this morning that the mystery that God has, has intended and purposed from all creation, the mystery of God about His church is that it's a people who fellowship one with another with no walls in such a way that all the principalities and powers and people of this world are stunned by the manifold wisdom of God displayed by the church. And that's a mystery. You see, the same connection you are to... Sister, you need a vital connection with God over here. But that same connection that we have with God over there is what we're to have as a brotherhood here as we're seeking to discern the will of God. As we're seeking in this world of ungodly antichrist directions how to turn things around and not be shaped by society but to be a new society. You see, there are two kinds of churches. There are churches down here that are in society. Do you see that? Down here on the earthly level, there's churches will build some. They're in society. They, they do virtually everything the way society does, except they happen to come together on Sunday, and some of them swing from chandeliers, and some wear black plain coats. But they come and sit in pews and sing some songs and go out and do what everyone else does except in plain coats or with uh, um, a lot of joy over there. But no real understanding of thinking that in every area of life I'm responsible and we are responsible to hear what God would intend and to try and demonstrate in this world what the kingdom of God actually looks like. And you can't do that by yourself over here because God never intended to just build a world for one person. He, he does love you, but He did not build this world for you. And He didn't go to the cross just for you. It's a nice thought that He would have, but it's really irrelevant because He went to the cross for a bride for a people. And we have destroyed in, 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 in the name of nice little thoughts like he went just for me. We have totally missed the point that he did it because he wants a holy bride, a holy people who care for each other, who forgive one another as he forgave you. And if we never get there, we've missed all that he died on the cross for us for. Does that make any sense? So we have the mystic over there. You and God. But over here we have a mystery that we can come together as brothers and sisters and we can seek the mind of God and He can speak to us. In Malachi, turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. There's a beautiful passage of Scripture that relates to that.
I just, I just have, this has just been upon me for a long time, this scriptures. But if you go back, you'll find that, that things are not in good shape in Malachi. You'll find all that. But it goes on and in verse 13 it says, Your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? Verse 14, you've said it's vain to serve the Lord, and what profit is it that we've kept his ordinances? So we're over here, and we've done everything that he said, and it doesn't work. We've, we've walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts, and it doesn't work. And now we've come to this place. We call the proud person happy. The person who's built that great image of position around all their possessions and power and authority, we say, wow, look at them. Suddenly we, even as Christians, begin to think that that is success. That that's what it might take. Yea, they that work wickedness are set up in places of authority. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. What did the children of Israel do in the wilderness? They tempted God. And what happened when they tempted God? They died. We have created a theology in our churches today where you can disobey God and what? And live. You can disobey God and be delivered there, that means, and be saved. Now, look at this. We're talking about being the hosts of the Lord here that are communicating with God and one another and experiencing the mystery of brotherhood. Listen to this. Then they that feared the Lord. How will you fear the Lord? Well, I hope that you have something over here on this side of a relationship with Him where you're meeting with Him personally. If you don't, you're probably not going to keep up the fear of the Lord for long. And you're probably not going to pass it on to your children. If you don't have anything over here, doesn't matter how good it is over here, you're going to have a hard time. They'll, you'll pass it on. They'll stay there because, because you've been raised with all these values. So they'll stay. But there's not going to be a lot of life, is there? I better not go down that road because I still think there's some incredible... Well, I will just say this. I live in an area with dark, dark... With a lot of both dark and liberal Anabaptist people are just about everyone, probably 30,000 of them where I live. I live in a nation where there's 50% divorce rate. And I live in an area where there's 1% divorce rate. I live in an area where there's 1% of people live in common-law marriages. But most of them are either very dark Anabaptist people or very liberal Anabaptist people. But they have all been raised with a standard over here that when you marry, it's for life. And even though they're not part of churches that really preach that anymore or that, are, that have spiritual life, They've all passed that deposit on even though they don't really have a... Do, do you follow what I'm saying? I'm not putting it very well. 
They don't have none of those churches I'd want to go to, okay? And none you'd want to go to. But somehow or other, they've passed something on because they believed in something. Their parents believed in something over here. And what a blessing to think of all the people that have been spared from divorce. Now, there's probably some other serious problems. But don't just start saying, all this over here is bad. Oh, be very careful of that. I'll tell you, I grew up over here. All spirituality. You might not get this, but you know when I die in that setting, who will bury me? About $10,000 will. You might send me a card, but that's the extent of your responsibility to me as a sister. Over here, there's a very practical understanding of Christianity, and who buries you? The church, your brethren come together, they phone people, they build caskets, they, 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 they get a suburban to, to take the casket. Now, I don't know what it is in your setting, but in many's it is. They dig the hole. They fill in the hole. They, they do everything is done by the brotherhood. And the family is worry-free and comes out debt-free because the church... Now, do we want to get rid of that thing? We can be so reactionary, brothers and sisters. Be careful. As you're making decisions in your life, I want to encourage you. This is in the wrong place in the message. But when you're making changes, you need to ask, why am I making this change? And who is making the decision to make this change? Before you make changes in your life, you need to ask the question, if you're making changes as church groups, how are we going to make decisions? If you haven't decided yet as a new group how you make decisions, then don't make changes yet, okay? I don't know if that makes sense to you, but if you don't do that, you'll be letting this sister and that sister and that brother make all their own decisions. You'll be coming out from a place that makes decisions either corporately or by the bishops or whatever. But someone makes decisions. Do you agree over here? Someone's making decisions and we're trading it for every man and God making their own decisions. Now we need to be very careful in that trade. When we start dealing with that over there, we need to be careful that we are first asking how do we make decisions? And does the church have the right and responsibility to together seek to be of one accord in some decisions. I am a part of a group of people that totally failed to be of one accord in making decisions. And we have seen incredible devastation because of it. And I'm just warning you. I was a part of the greatest revival. And today we are a part of some very, very sad situations. Can you just accept that? Can you ask, how do we make decisions? How do we make decisions so we can be this society that represents what God really wants in this world? So you can do a good job yourself, brother. You can, you can come up to, with lots of good things, but you're never a society. Uh, I mean, look at him. Does he look like a society to you? He 
could have a lot of children and he still wouldn't be a society, would he? And he still wouldn't have the pain that it's going to involve for all of us to be a society. It's going to take the cross. It's going to take submission. Is submission spiritual? Yes, brothers. I'll tell you, I have had to learn to submit and it is hard. Okay, we haven't even started on the message yet. <laughs> the young people are used to that though. I'm, will you forgive me if I'm gonna, let's go to the first point. <laughs> we are called to be a koinonia society and I am very, very, very concerned about this. One of the things when I was a young man your age that was birthed upon my heart was John 17, the prayer of Jesus, that last prayer when he prayed that they may be one. Since the 1880s, something has happened in the church. In the 1880s, we had many churches, just about every church was a denomination in the 1880s, and they were dead because they didn't have a lot over here, okay? Do you know what happened? Independent missionary organizations like Hudson Taylor and many others rose up. And they were strong, independent men who did incredible things for God but had a much smaller view of the church. Now, what is God's goal to raise up to get a bunch of people saved or to build a new society? To build a new society. Now, what is the difference? Did you see a problem there with saying independent and society? What's the problem there? Can anyone tell me? It's not a society. Independent is, is you, brother. You and God, that's independent. And if it's you and God, it'll become you and you and you and disaster. Right? Because God's design is that they would be one as we are one, and that's going to take sacrifice and submission. And the only way you'll be able to do that in a spiritual way is if you have a vital connection here, a vital connection of love with your brothers in a new koinonia where you've bowed your hearts to one another. John 17 then. But oh, go to Ephesians. While you're going there, I'm going to read Luke chapter 1, a little portion there. It was referred to today already. Luke 1. Jesus has come to give light to them that sin, sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and who knows, to guide our feet into the way of... Let's say it together. To guide our feet in the way of... Peace. Now, we talked this morning about the peace, and I am so thankful. I am so blessed with that message, but can I... Uh, you said you had many messages you could have preached on peace. Can I preach another one for you? Do you know that when it finally comes down to it, peace is not about the feeling that you have in your heart, sister? Peace is about the fact of what did we see all week long in Acts? 
is a demonstration of what true peace is. What did God do with Jews and Gentiles? What did he do? He made peace. At first we had the Jewish church and they were the only ones and the Gentiles were bad guys over there. Then we had the Jewish church and the, the Gentiles were, the Anabaptists were kind of, or the German Baptists and whatever you are here were all kind of attached on like a little wart on the side. They didn't quite know if they fit yet. But by the time we get to the end of the book of Acts, we don't have a Gentile church and we don't have a Jewish church. We have a believer's church made up of people of every color, race, and nation who are called together into a new citizenship whose only concern is allegiance to the king and what he has said, not to worrying about what their neighbor thinks or how to fix this garbage heap here, but how to manifest and get commands from the king who has already spoken and given direction. If you try to get direction from the problems around you and figure out what you should do, you're using this. And we're not called to use this, we're called to use this. And as a brotherhood, try and discern what this is saying in our situation. Remind me in a moment. I want to mention another word, and that's the word relevant, but I'll mention it in a moment here. In Colossians, then, we see the true definition of what peace is in the Bible. And or Ephesians, I'm not going to read it now, though, okay? Will you forgive me? Because I've got seven minutes more. Peace is what God did, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I believe, when he took down the wall between Jew and Gentile, and of two nations, what did he make? One, One what? One church, that's good, yeah, it's right. What's that? One society? One body, that's good. But do you know what it actually says? One new man. Okay. Stand up here, brother. Stand. There, there were many. There, there, there's many here, right? Out of many, what did God make? One man. Thus making peace. That's what peace is. Now, do we have that? You may sit, John. Do we have that in our churches? That is a definition of what the Koinonia society is. It's a society that knows how to make peace. It is a society that are ambassadors of peace. Sisters, do you know how to live at peace with one another? Do you know what it takes to be a person of peace? Do you know one of the main things we should learn at Bible school, and you've learned some of it this week, is the importance of being at peace with one another and how to be at peace with one another. In our little prayer group, I'm so thankful that these brothers made me go to a prayer group instead of preparing messages. But you know one of the things that I realized is I realized there's some people that I have struggled to make peace with because they don't want to make peace with me. But that's my fault still. I still need to realize there's some people that don't want to make peace with me and I don't know how to make peace with them. And I have just got some insight from the Lord this week from you brothers and sisters of how I can go and make peace with people that I'm scared of because I don't know how to make peace with them. 
But I got some help this week. And even from the light bulb here today, and you know what I mean. I got some, some you know, to be able to go to, to these, you know, and that's one of our greatest griefs is we've realized the, the devastation that has come has caused the light of the community of God in our co- community to go out and we're not a witness like we were seven years ago. And I've grieved and I've mourned over that. But oh, do we actually realize to the depths of our being what that means. That the difference I have with you, brother, has put out the light of God in this community. It's not just about you and me. That should change our lives forever if we can get hold of that. The purposes of God in the place where you live have been crumpled up and thrown in the garbage bin when you cannot live at peace with your brother in the church. Okay. Number two. The church is to be a non-conformed society. Here's where we have two things. We have an opportunity. Somewhere I have something I want. I don't know where. We have an opportunity to demonstrate to the world what God originally intended. We have an opportunity to say, stop the world and let's change directions. In John, we read that if we love the world, what is not in us? The love of the Father. Have you ever thought about it? Do you, do you have, know what a teeter-totter is? Or a seesaw? Or whatever? Have you ever thought of it? It's like a, a seesaw. The Bible says, if you love the world, the seesaw goes this way and you go bump. And if you love God, the seesaw goes that way and you go, praise the Lord. <laughs> now, is it possible to just sit on the seesaw and have it balance like that? It says that if we love the world, that we do not love God. The church is called together as we saw. I never finished Malachi. I'm sorry. Let's go back there. The church is called as a brotherhood to discern what the world is, to put up fire guards... And to live in the beautiful fellowship of another direction. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Be not conformed to this world. Be not shaped by the fashion of this world. Do you know that most Christians today are trying to improve the world? They're trying to be good dads and good moms. But in every other way, they're very much like the world. Can I give you an an illustration of that? About 10 years ago, Cell phones really started invading. And when the cell phone invaded, it's changed a lot of your dining room tables. It's changed a lot of your lives. You used to have times when you could go away and get away from the phone. Who likes to get away from the phone today? You do, you do, okay. 
But most of you take them with you anyhow, don't you? Everywhere you go, you've got a phone. Now, who made that decision? Who made it? The world made it. And you followed right along. The reality is no one made the decision, so it was made by someone other than you. You didn't make that decision. You chose to follow those that were making it. Does that under, do you understand what I'm saying? So whereas before, uh, you would have had dining, dining room conversation, now your dining room table can be interrupted by beep, 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 or whatever it does, or ding, 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 go or whatever it is you have to wake you up and get your attention. And here you're praying at the dining room table and all kinds of noises are going off as people are texting and emailing. And because someone told you, you all need this thing hanging on your hip. And you're just following along. Now, who taught, again, who taught you that? Was that the Bible that's taught us that? Did we decide as a church brotherhood this would be a wonderful thing? I think there's some church brotherhoods that need to decide that these, this is not such a wonderful thing. I think there's some brothers that need to talk about some of these things. I think some families need to talk about whether we're going to answer texts at our table. I told my son at one point, I said, tell your boss to phone you. I want to get it over in one shot, not 20 texts. <laughs> His boss doesn't like talking, but he got forced to. Which is Christian, to not talk or to talk? talk? Face to face? I used to, when I was first in the ministry as a 24-year-old, I would drive up to 15 minutes to talk to a brother rather than make a phone call. Because I had a principle, I, don't, I think it was almost a conviction, except I don't do it anymore. But I had a, 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 something that I very much believed is I would rather talk to someone face to face than over the landline. Now we try to do as much as possible without being face to face. I just ask you, which will build the brotherhood? Let's not lose it. Let's ask who makes decisions. I'll give you another illustration. Our society says right now that when you, sister, have your kitchen cabinets made for you, do you know what color they should be? Dark brown or black. In fact, they will take some of the most incredibly beautiful wood, and I watched it happen in an Amish woodworking shop. They painted it black. Two, four-inch thick walnut that had been glued together for a countertop that was 10 feet long and this wide and 4 inches thick and they painted it black. As if walnut isn't black enough, but it wasn't black enough for the styles of our day. And so we go and we do so many things. I'm just trying to point out that we do so many things without thinking what is the most peaceful thing to do in my house. How can I create an atmosphere of relaxation. No, we just do what everyone else is doing. We go to work eight hours a day because everyone else is. Brothers, I chose in my life, I have not been a businessman and I have spent $33,000 on vehicles in the last 33 years. And out of that time, I have rarely worked full time because I made a choice. 
that I was going to work just as much as I needed to to support my family and be available for kingdom work. I've watched many people build businesses in order to be free, and I've seen that 90% of them do not ever manage to get free. But I've been a little slave laborer, and I've been free to... You've heard about some of it. I have been free to be used to, to, to minister, to go. I have had jobs and have made it a priority to have jobs. Well, I know that I can be released at any point to come and be with you. Do you know that's why I have the job I have? That's why I worked in a pig barn for 13 years is because I could get my job done in 25 hours a week and I didn't go trying to make extra money on the side. I'm not talking about me, okay? I'm talking about you. Why do we need to work 60 hours a week? Why? Because we have some expectations that have been set by our society that we're to meet. Isn't that right? Why don't we change some of them? Why don't we be a non-conformed people? Now, I've gone over time, but this is the last meeting, and I'm leaving anyhow. <laughs> I might not get a ride to the airport, though. <laughs> I want to sympathize with where anyone is here in this room today and with where any of your loved ones are. But we live in a day of divorce and remarriage. But many of us are parts of churches that have, through the years, stood that it is one man one woman for life, and if you end that, that you remain single and pray for the reconciliation of that first marriage. That is becoming a more and more difficult thing to do because we have such a mess here in the middle. But what did Jesus say when the day is done and we've discussed all the sad situations and you might be here today with one of those sad situations? But at the end of the day, we need to say, Jesus said when he was asked about it, you have heard it said, Moses said, divorce your wife, you know, it, because of the hardness of your heart. But Jesus said, but I say unto you, it was not so from the beginning. As the church of God what we are simply trying to do is say, in the middle of all of the mess, someone needs to say, how do we chart a course out of here so we don't pass it on? You see, you can pass nothing on. You can pass individualism on. We only need to study the sociological records to see what happens when we pass divorce on. And if any of you are here in that situation today, I, I know that you can look around and say, it's not pretty. But how do we at some point say, let's not just try and be merciful to these people down there, but how do we actually say, Jesus said, this is what I intend from the beginning. And we just say, somehow or other at the end of the day, I can't say anything different than Jesus said. Let's get back to how it was in the beginning. 
Now that's a very sensitive issue there, isn't it? We could talk about the role of women. We could talk about godly homes. We could talk about money. We could talk about what the church is all about like this week. And what is it in all those things that we want to do is get back to what Jesus intended from when? The beginning. I was a part of a church in which I would have been put out of the ministry if I had married. This is 25 years ago. I would have been put out of the ministry if I'd married two people where either of them were divorced. 20 years later, that church, which has 10,000 churches here in the United States and is one of your most conservative evangelical churches, at least the one in Canada that's the equivalent, I myself could be a minister and divorced and remarried today. 20 years ago, they would have thrown me out of the church if I married two, two, two people where one was divorced. What about if 60 years ago when divorce really started coming into the church, every minister had said, this is what Jesus says. The simplest understanding of what Jesus says. Do you know what the denomination I was part of said? They said, we can't do anything else because this is what Jesus said. That was a Pentecostal denomination that said that. That's what they taught us. But that's what they said they believed, but they didn't actually teach us us. They didn't say, this is what we stand for. They just said, this is sort of what our history is, and uh, we're not sure what will happen in the next few years. Well, what did happen? They chose to write their agenda from trying to minister to the, the chaos all around us instead of charting a course. Can I just urge us to be a non-conformed society that will chart a course, that will ask the questions, what did Jesus intend? Because think, what a blessing it would be in our society if every minister had done that today. Do you know, sister, if you're sitting here today weeping, or brother, or young person, it's just possible if the church had asked what Jesus really wanted 70 years ago, you might not be in the situation you're in today. And your children might not. Does that make any sense? So you might think it's awfully hard-nosed to be a church that takes a stand like that. But it just might be the most loving thing that every, anyone could ever do. Not for you. Because sister, brother, it's not about you. It's about society. This sin has affected all of society and it's multiplying. But that's just one illustration. The third thing we want to look at is we are called to be a missionary society. We are called to be those that Jesus went out to every town and village taking teachings just like what I've given you tonight. Teachings that the kingdom of God had come so repent and get ready and change your life to, to line up with what God intended from the beginning. That's what John the Baptist taught. That's what Jesus taught. And where did he teach it? In every town. I long for the day when your children, from your German Baptist, those of you that are at, and you know what all that means when that relates to missions. I long for the day, brother, when you will know that my grandchildren will, will, will grow up and they're going to be a part of, of from, no, they're not going to go to Africa to do missions for two years before they get married. They're going to be a part of missions in the Union Gospel and in the University of Central Washington and on the streets and putting up a tent in Yakima and you're going to take a week, a week off work 
and they'll be looking forward to the time when they can be part of the young people that are involved in going here, there, every week, not to have volleyball, but to preach the kingdom of God, to sing the glories of the kingdom of God, to talk not just about how to get saved in your sin. What did it say in Malachi there? It talked about um, um, they were rebellious but delivered. Something like that. Well, that's what's preached so much today. Oh, how much better. Do you think it's possible that we could kindly and graciously do some kingdom teachings from a tent? I teach on what Jesus says about anger and people are flabbergasted who've been Christians all their lives and say, we've never heard that before. We've never heard it's possible to be free of anger or lust. We've never heard that that's... There are young men and young ladies who have never sat in a moral purity workshop like you have this week. And there's probably some that never came because they knew it was going to happen. I wish I'd had a moral purity workshop. Neither my parents nor anyone else told me one single thing in the church. Can we change that? Can we make decisions about some things? Years ago, a decision was made to get rid of slavery. And the church said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a cotton grower. What do I do without those slaves? I'll lose my mansion. Who should have been leading the way? In a non-conformed society, who should have been putting up, 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 up sermons, not, not waving placards and knocking on government doors, but just simply, kindly preaching what Jesus and his kingdom were and always have been and always will be and making decisions that reflect what God would want together as brothers. You can try it as individuals, and I bless you for the way you're doing it as individuals, but I believe there is a strength as we can do that as brothers. Don't make your decisions based on some of the hard things you've had from your past over on this side, okay? As you think about your structure, all of life is based on this idea of fellowship, koinonia, as a people of God. We need to have koinonia, and then up here we are called to be a missionary people, way up here, okay? How many of you can just easily get up there? I sure can't. We need a ladder between the beautiful fellowship we have up here and that up there. But the ladder isn't the goal. The ladder is a servant to help us to get there, and that is what all structure is. All church government, all leadership is only a ladder. All your programming and buildings and everything are just a ladder to get you to where you want to go. And all your, whatever kind of authority structure or denomination or conference you come up with, if, it's a, if it isn't based on a fellowship of rich love, one to another, and a submission to one to another over here, and a deep connection with God here, whatever structure you build will fail. But if you have both of those, you can probably have a bit of a lousy structure. But if you've got a ladder, and that's what a structure is. That's what church government is. It's a ladder that's built on fellowship to get you to the place of taking this gospel to all the world. Does that make any sense? I've given you a pile. But let's get back to Malachi because I still didn't finish it. <laughs> then they that feared the Lord, verse 16, spake often one to another as a brotherhood, 
And the Lord hearkened and heard, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Are you fearing the Lord? Are you thinking upon his name? I'm going to flip. I'm not looking at the clock. Sorry. I want to give you one of the most important passages related to the connection we have between one another as brothers. And it's in 1 Corinthians 1.10. And it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice these five things. And remember, I've said, don't make your decisions about your structure based on your bad experiences. Make them based on the ideal of what God says he wants for a people. Can, can you understand that, some of you? Some of you that are ministers, some of you that aren't? When we're looking for, for what God wants for a people, where do we go? To our bad experiences? We'll always get in trouble if we make decisions in light of our bad experiences or the garbage heap. We make all our decisions based on what God says is His heart. And we know that's to set a direction that's different than individualism, right? So let's try and find out what it is and how it can be a ladder based on fellowship. So it says here five times, I beseech you that you all speak the same thing. Number two, that there be no divisions among you. Number three, that you be perfectly joined together. Number four, in the same mind. And number five, in the same judgment. Now can I ask you, if you never talk about things together that are practical, do you know what it means, the same judgment? It means that if a, a situation comes up, you'll make the same decision as him and as her. And we'll all pretty well count on it, that we'd make the same decision. Because we've had the same discipleship. Because we've taught, we've not just said, brother, you do that because the church says so. We're not called to that. We're called to make disciples. But you can never make disciples unless you know what you want to come out the other end. Sisters and brothers, if you have children and you don't know what to come out, you want to come out the other end, you're, don't, don't have children. <laughs> we make disciples on purpose. We have a purpose. We have a vision of a kingdom Christian and a kingdom church. And we start together coming to judgments. And how do we come by to judgments? By interacting with the word of God and seeking to discern together. And then... The danger, I just want to warn you of, is that you not do too much or that you learn where the line is between saying, okay, now we've looked at all of this, but you decide what you want to do anyhow, sister. Okay, we've looked at all of this, but everyone do what they think is best. It's not going to work. Over the long haul, that will not be a good gift to pass on to your children. Amen. At some point, you need to come to the place where you learn that my goal is that my children... Brother, you want your children to make the same judgments you do one day, don't you? you? The world's way is to say, let them grow up and when they're 21 they'll make their own mind up. No, we have a picture in mind of what we actually want. Now that picture may have some diversity in it. And that's the beauty. Once we get some of this down that we submit to one another, we can allow an, quite a bit of diversity... We don't need to have everything exactly cookie-cutter, but if we haven't learned the beauty of submission and what's important to agree on and what's not as important, we will give diversity in the wrong places and it will destroy us.
Okay, now that was a lot and you're tired. Well, let's finish Malachi now. Okay, so do you understand what being of the same judgment is? Is that a good goal then? Hey, I'm sorry, brother, I'm just done. Oh, my. It only felt like two minutes. Oh, dear. Okay. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and thought in his name. And then look at this. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. And then look at verse 18. Then shall ye return. Will you look at this, brothers and sisters? And you will discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. One of the great things we are lacking in our day is discernment. We're lacking discernment about what is true spirituality. And what I've hoped to do today is just open your eyes a little teeny bit to the beauty of true spirituality that is about meeting and being connected with God and vitally connected with each other too. Spirituality, connection with God, and submission one to another. I pray that blessing for you. God bless you. You forgot to mention relevant. Relevant. Okay, can I do that? <laughs> it's, it'll take 30 seconds. The most relevant thing you can do is tell people what Jesus actually said. If you think relevant is joining them in the garbage heap and being like the garbage, that is irrelevant. The most relevant thing you can do is address the problems of our world today by showing what Jesus intended from the beginning because that's what Jesus did. Jesus was incredibly relevant and he didn't become like the people. He offered them an opportunity to be the opposite of what the world is. And we in our day, I wish I'd had a chance to talk about opportunity. We in our day have an opportunity to be a society that shows to a lost world that has no moorings what God intended from the beginning. That's another sermon. And I wish you'd give me half an hour to preach it, but I know you won't. <laughs> and that's why I love you, because you're really consistent. <laughs> God bless you. But seriously, let's quiet our hearts. God bless you. Yes. I, he's, we're going to have to get your address and just come up and get the rest of that. I noticed that some of you are taking notes, and I'm excited about that. I'm glad to see that. But what I'm concerned about is that we're going to go and, and we're just going to say, wasn't that a good sermon? Wasn't that good? Boy, that was good, wasn't it? And we just go back right where we were and we'll just say, yeah, boy, David Robertson, he can really preach, can he? So I would like for you, everybody here, just to take out a sheet of paper. And I would like for you to write down what are you going to do about it what are you going to do? What's the point? Was that just entertainment? Uh, 
how's this going to change your life and your society and your congregation and your family? For some of us, I think it, need, it's, it means that we need to get over here and we need to get an expectation of God. That God is, that when we pull in and we sit down in the, the sanctuary, that we can expect God to meet us there and do something. That we, can, that we just learn to expect God to do something in our meetings together in our prayer meetings, in our singings. And when we go to the rest home, we just expect God to do something. Yes. For some of us, that's what we, we need to be looking at. But I do think that for others of us, it means that we're just going to get in there and we're going to submit. And we're going to learn to decide things together. We're going to learn to be relevant because we're going to learn to we choose to ask ourselves, what did Jesus really intend for a society? Um, that's really all I have. If you have a song, and then we can have a closing prayer. Do you have a song, a hymn? 314. Okay. You, if you would lead that for us from up here, yeah, that'd be great. Number 314. Let's sing this song one more time for the students and for all. Yes, the impact on my own heart tonight is. Things always take their place when we gaze on God. Even this thing of fellowship and decisions together, it takes its place when our gaze is on God. So let's sing 314. <laughs> Let's bow our heads for a closing prayer. Lord God, we have a lot to go home and consider. This has been a challenging message. We can all relate with it somewhere. Lord, I ask for grace to cover this place and for... Grace to cover each soul here, each heart. A lot of varied experiences here tonight. Lord, you know each one of them. You can speak to each heart as you need to, Lord. 
But indeed, the truth still stands that a relationship with you will equal relationship with our brothers and sisters that will be a beautiful picture. Lord, we want that. Give us that, Lord, in your time and in your way. In Jesus' name, amen.